Father, we come before you this morning with a, a fitting text for the time in which we live. As we consider the week to come, it's easy to say that we should have been praying about Tuesday for a long time. And Father, I, I, I pray in part that we have, and I pray in part that we would begin anew today to pray for ourselves and to pray for our families and to pray for our nation. We live in uncertain times. We live in times of, of great division and confusion. And it feels like as the two-year election cycle winds down. This has been going on forever. It feels like people are worked up to a fever pitch. And so, Father, we pray for grace for our country, that, that people would be calm and orderly, that there would be no violence. We pray that, that you would help people to trust not in as the scriptures say, horses or chariots or men, but to trust in you. The truth is that the red candidate and the blue candidate, neither one of them can save us. They can make political decisions, yes. Decisions which will affect our lives. But you are the one who ultimately holds our fate in your hands. You are the one who gives good things. You supply the food that's in the fields that we need to eat. You supply the jobs that we work at. You supply the security that we enjoy in a nation. And so we pray that, that we would look to you. No matter what happens on Tuesday, nothing spiritual in the universe will change. You will remain in control. And so we pray that the prayers that we pray would be as zealous today and tomorrow and Tuesday and beyond, that we would put our faith and trust in you. Father, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would help us to see the truth of your word and to apply it to our hearts. Lord, it is no good to merely hear words, as James says. The one who's a faithful hearer is the one who goes and does what is written in your word. And so we pray that you would build us up, Father. I pray that you would spare us from false condemnation, but instead that you would capture our joy in you and that we would pursue you the way that we ought. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I had lunch with my wife on Tuesday, Thursday rather. I know that's uh, something that you're supposed to do when you're a husband, and so I did it. She said, let's go to lunch, and I said, fine. Uh, I was in a rush. I was late. I got stuck behind a train over as I was headed over to Chipotle. The, uh, you know, I was, I was zipping there. I was probably about 10 minutes late, and, uh, and the barricade came down, you know, ding, 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 and here comes the train, and I'm like, oh, I'm already late. So I got stuck there. I arrived at Chipotle, uh, kissed her hello, told her she looked nice, right? That's what you're supposed to do. And so I did it. 
I'd forgotten my debit card, so I asked her to pay. <laughs> I told her she looked pretty, told her I needed her to think about a few things, and then I needed her help with some other things. Uh, could I go and hang out with a friend and watch a game that night? Would that be okay? That'd be cool. She wanted to say a few things to me. She wanted to, to just relate and to spend some time, but I, I had a list of things I needed to get through. Um, so I did that thing where I stay on task, right? You know, I'm like, I'm going to communicate, and she's like, you know, I was thinking, and I'm like, uh, da, 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 da. you know, I've got stuff to say. Um, Chipotle was so good. It was so good. I don't know if you noticed this. They've, they've now added chorizo. That's a sausage bowl. So good. And so I made it through my list. I powered through my food. I told her how nice it was to spend this time together. Such a joy. It was a wonderful lunch. And then I was off and back to work. Gone. Uh, probably 25 minutes in total. Now, I hope you know I would never treat my wife this way. And I don't look at lunch with her that way. Uh, but that could be a parable of the way many of us look at prayer. Prayer can be difficult. Uh, we are prone to formality. We're prone to formulas. And so we fall into ruts with prayer. We, we, we adopt a, a scheme for the way that we ought to pray. We, we adore him. We say, tell God that he's pretty, and then we confess our sins, and then we offer him thanks for what he's given to us, and then we make it through our list, and then we're done. Amen. In Jesus' name, and off we go. Uh, prayer can be difficult. And so it's easy to forget our responsibility. We, we cruise down the road of life under our own power, and when we get a flat or we run out of gas, then we pray. We cram prayer in before our activities or we forget it altogether on busy days. Sometimes the good crowds out prayer. We, we don't pray because we're going to church. We, we read the word and then we spend little time in prayer because the word took so long to get through. We listen to sermons. We do good things like help our kids out with homework or get the oil changed. And these things consume the time that we otherwise would have devoted to prayer, and prayer gets crowded out. Another thing that can crowd out prayer is our inner beliefs. If God commands us to pray in the scriptures, then certainly we're going to confess that prayer is important, that we ought to do it. I believe that everybody who trusts in God's word sees commands to pray and says, yes, prayer is important. We ought to pray. And so we feel a guilt about prayerlessness, but internally we can be mixed up. If God is good and all-powerful and all-knowing, then why do we need to pray? If he's in control and has ordained all things, the scriptures say God is in his heaven and he does whatever he pleases. If that is true, then why pray? What is the point? What is the purpose? And so struggling with purposelessness and pointlessness, we embrace prayerlessness, not as something which is good, but something which just is. It becomes our daily pattern. The inner beliefs that we feel crowd out what we know we ought to do. And though we might feel guilt occasionally, we do not pray. But the good news is that Jesus offers us help. 
in this extended section of Matthew 6, Jesus will turn his teaching to prayer, first dealing with bad ways that we pray in verses 5 through 8, and then he will teach his disciples how to pray, a model prayer in 9 through 13. We're going to look at that model next week, but we're going to focus on Jesus' teaching about bad prayer, and then close with a focus on the point and purpose of prayer. The good news is that there's good to be found in this passage. Uh, there, are, there are delightful things. There, there, are, there are truths which solve the sense of pointlessness about prayer that we might feel. If we, if we feel like if God knows everything and he's all good, why, why pray? That, that inner wiring that may be, be off and might keep us from prayer. There are treasures and food to be found for those who will seek it. So let's look at two types of bad praying and see what Jesus has to say with us. Bad praying, type one, is fancy public prayers. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. You remember hypocrites are, are play actors. They're, they're those who, who have an external act that doesn't match up with an internal reality. What is, what is going on in the exterior doesn't match the interior. The, the being doesn't reflect the doing. Don't be like the hypocrites, Jesus says. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. There's an emptiness in the act there's a, there's a hollowness to it. There's a, there's a sense in which, in which the prayers of the Pharisees, many of them, not all of them, but many of them were just empty actors. They took the act of praying, a mark of great devotion to the Lord, and they turned it into a show for others. What was to be an act of communion with God was turned into a way of earning esteem and respect and honor for themselves. When the time came to pray in the synagogue, they would pray out loud, and they would pray long, bold, beautiful, complicated prayers. And the intended audience was not the one being prayed to, but those listening to the prayer. When times of prayer came and they were in the streets, they would stop and pray so they would be seen. Their goal was to be seen and heard and thought of as holy and greatly devoted to God. Jesus says that the attention and the praise and the fame they gained for these prayers was all the reward that they would get. As believers, we need to understand the principle that's connected here in, in this passage. There are those who give and there are those who pray, and there will be, in the next section, those who fast, and they do it to be seen for the attention of, of men. And Jesus is teaching people that all religious acts that are not oriented primarily toward God, but are done to be seen, are empty and worthless. If the primary intent is to be seen, then the good work achieves nothing. Jesus is saying that the God that they prayed to was themselves, their own glory. And the God who made heaven and earth did not hear them. He would not listen 
to those prayers, and he does not listen to those prayers today. It's a great evil to pray to be seen. Psalm 66 verse 18 says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Luke 18.10 says this, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. That means that he is righteous in the eyes of God rather than the other. The Pharisee received no benefit or blessing because of his prayer. But the tax collector went home cleansed and purified and righteous. For everyone who exalts himself, Jesus says, will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. One of the first times I met my mentor, Mike Greiner, uh, someone asked him to pray for the food that we were going to eat. I think we were in his house. There was, there was food there, and, and they said, hey, uh, Mike, why don't you pray for dinner? And he prayed something like this, God, this food looks so good. Thank you for giving it to us, and thank you for Jesus. Amen. And when we opened our eyes, some of the people were kind of like, had this look like, that's it? And he, he looked around and noticed this, and he said, I'm hungry. And then he said, long food prayers are evidence of a poor prayer life. There's a connection there to, to what Jesus is, is saying here. Right? Think about, think about what, what someone is doing when they pray a long food prayer. They may be earnest and honest in their heart. But if what they're doing is for show, then it's just empty religious fancy speak. Think about some of the things that we might say unthinkingly that we've just picked up in our training. What does bless this food to our bodies mean anyway? Jesus says, ditch the fancy prayer in public to be seen. It's no good. Now, public prayer is okay. Jesus will pray publicly and often through his ministry. Solomon prayed a long prayer, and so long prayers are okay. You can look that up. I believe it's in 1 Kings when they dedicate the temple. Uh, Solomon prays a long public prayer, and God didn't break in or tell him later that it was boring or pointless. But fancy prayers, praying fancy prayers to be seen and heard and thought of as super spiritual is pointless. Jesus tells us instead of praying out in public to be seen, we ought to pray in secret, in the secret room of our house, in a place like the broom closet. That's where our hot water heater is. There are a couple of, of, of shelves in there that have got things like band-aids on them, you know, like that sort of thing. And there's about this much space in that closet because it's tiny. It's under the stairs. Jesus says, go and hide yourself in there and pray. Or pray in the powder room. Any kids who are still in here, that's a fancy word for bathroom, powder room. On the street corner, the actor prays to be seen by people. In the secret place, the earnest prayer prays to be seen and heard by God. God is in secret. 
That's what the book of Isaiah says. Truly, Isaiah 45, 15, truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. God wraps himself in secrecy and hides. And we, seeking the true reward, true blessing, would do well to go to him where he is in secret and to pray. Jesus says that he sees and answers We'll talk about that in a minute. Second type of bad praying is this. Big, babbly, powerful prayers of powerful powerfulness. Okay? Trust me there. Look at what Jesus says. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Here are uh, two Greek words that that show up here that are, are fun to say. Um, here, the, the first one for empty phrases is batologia. That's fun. It's translated other places, babbling. Many words is polylogia. Think about the, the babbling type prayer that shows up in Scripture. 1 Kings 18.26, it says that they, this is the, the priests of Baal, they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they cried aloud, and as midday passed, they raved on, but there was no one. No one answered. No one paid attention. What Jesus is, is communicating here is a, is a simple idea that, that the Gentiles who prayed to their gods assumed that, that many words, that, that religious phrases would hear or be heard by the gods of the Gentiles. The Gentiles would be heard by their gods if they prayed prayers worth noticing. Crying out in the name of the God, calling upon him over and over with emotional exertion and loud noise would cause the God to notice. The God sitting in heaven far off would say, What is that I hear? One of my worshipers with a request. And he would bend his ear down to earth and listen Jesus says, this is a wrong way to think about a practice. Think about the practice of prayer. Paul will later say that there are no other gods. We know this in Scripture. It's less clear in the Old Testament that that the other gods don't exist, but, but Paul makes it very clear in the New Testament that there are no gods but one in the Old Testament, there is this, this idea, perhaps, that, 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 the, that the gods of the other nations could, could have some power, and we see them defeated over and over again in the Old Testament as, as God is seen as the God of the whole universe. This is a progressive revelation. But Jesus says praying this way to the only God which exists is not good. It's poor. It, it is unnecessary. It's the wrong way to think about practicing prayer. Some pray out loud at times by chopping up their sentences and inserting God's name over and over and including random holy uh, exclamations. And that's kind of weird to talk to God that way unless they speak that way in real life, right? You know, when I speak to my wife, I don't say, Nancy, oh, Nancy, prettiest Nancy, would you please come upstairs, Nancy? Come and, 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 and visit me, for I have need of Advil, Nancy. 
You know, we don't talk that way in real life. That might be just religious talk because that's the way these people were trained. But the God of heaven doesn't hear prayers because they are long or fancy or passionate or filled with fancy words. And he doesn't respond to the commands of men who call upon him or who demand him to do tricks for them. There are no power phrases in prayer. A number of years ago, back up in New Jersey, I was sitting at a a table at a potluck, and there was another pastor there, and we were just having polite conversation. And then the other pastor was was speaking to the group of, of ladies who were sitting at the table with us, and he said, I struggled for years in prayer. And I kind of you know, I open up my ears. Here's an older gentleman who's in the ministry. What's he going to say? This might be interesting and helpful. And he said, I struggled for years with unanswered prayer until I made a breakthrough. I used to pray in Jesus' name, and I received nothing. Now I'm like, what's going on here? And then he says, then one day I began to pray by the blood of Jesus. And then God began listening and answering and now I always pray that, la- that way. And the little ladies at the table were like, that's amazing. You know, little bits of egg salad were going all over the table. And I had to speak up, and that was not a comfortable moment. It was like, okay, I got to tell this guy that he's wrong. God doesn't respond to the control or the commands of men. He doesn't listen when we pray fancy, ornate prayers that are full of of complicated words and religious power phrases. Jesus says this, don't be like them in verse 8. Don't do that. Don't be like that. Don't don't pray to be seen. Don't, Don't pray prayers of of control or power like the Gentiles. Why? Look at what he says about God, because God knows what you need before you ask him. This God, the God who exists, who is real, he knows already. We don't need to get his attention with many words, and we don't need to give him information, and we don't need to practice manipulation. His omniscience makes telling him things unnecessary, and his benevolence, his goodness, makes begging him unnecessary. And so Jesus corrects any awkward, dysfunctional, or sinful ways and attitudes about prayer, and he gives us helpful, new, and important information. This is what he tells us. Think about, think about the things that you assume about God on a daily basis, but maybe we don't, we don't quite put them in, in, in linear order or proper order. We don't think about how they apply to prayer, and so prayer is difficult and a struggle. This is what Jesus says to us. First, he says, this God is Father. He says, pray to your Father. Look at God not as a deity that's far off and disinterested and uncaring, but look at him as a Father. First, or John, rather, John 1.12 says that when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we become children of God. We have trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus. He took our place on the cross. Our sins are upon him. And we are then granted the righteousness of Christ. We become the children of God. Romans 5, 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 
Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, consider this, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are no longer orphans when we come to God, seeking fellowship or citizenship or connection. No, we are adopted. We are no longer rebels against his will. We are forgiven. We are no longer running. We are home when we approach this Father. God is Father. Second, this Father is a God of love. Jesus says, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This isn't, you know, silly Christian. Why are you coming and telling God information? It's, it's when you come and you pray, he knows. He's got a smile on his face and he's like, yes, I know, I know. He's concerned with our needs, and he is ready to meet them, not our desired needs, but our true needs. Luke 12, 32, consider the the heart of the Father here, the heart of a God of love. Fear not, little flock, Jesus says, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Here is my kingdom, God says, and he delights in giving it to us. Luke 12, 29, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and don't be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Dad already knows what we need. He's ready to give it to us. He's willing to give it to us. This Father is a God of love who does not need to be coaxed, pestered, or battered. But listen, this is part of the point and purpose of prayer he will be paid attention to. He waits to be approached and encountered in prayer. He will be spoken to. God says that he is God and beside him there is no Savior and he will not give his glory to another. That means he will not be forgotten or ignored, but instead expects his, expects his children to come to him and to speak to him and to be in relationship with him. Think of the great blessing of the Old Testament. This is in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 24. It goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. To see the face of God was a great blessing in the Old Testament. God desires to be sought. Hosea 5.15, God says, I will return again to my place. He abandons Israel into captivity because of their sins, and he waits for them to come. Listen, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. Oh, this is so good. I I found this verse, and, and I was like, Oh, this is, this is it. This is the heart of, of God in the book of Psalms, the, the emotional center of the Christian life. This is what, this is what the, the psalmist says in Psalm 27.8. Savor this, it's so good. You have said, this is the psalmist speaking, you have said, seek my face. And then he says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. 
as as human beings, we're prone to formality. We want to know the way to accomplish and to get the things that we want. We want to know the right way to do things. We, as Americans, we're focused on efficiency and we're focused on not wasting time. We make the best use of, of things. And so, so we want to know how it is that I get eternal life. And then we want to know what are the things that I need to do not to lose it. And how, how, do, I, how do I make sure that my life is peaceful and prosperous? A.W. Tozer says this about that approach to the Christian life. He says, we've been snared in the coils of a spurious, a fake logic, which insists that if we have found God, we need no more seek him. When we pray, we are throwing off our chains of independence and freedom from God. And that means that we repent of our basic errors. Romans 1.21 says this, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The children of God seek God's face to express their joy in him and to honor him and to give him thanks. Scholar William Barclay says, God is more willing to answer than we are to pray. And so think about the Father the way that Jesus communicates him to us. Jesus always speaks words that are true. At the end of his life, he said that that he had taught all that he was sent to teach. And Jesus teaches us that the Father listens, that he waits, that he's good and he's ready to answer. We tend to to reduce that to an obligation. I must pray. I must check off the box and obey the rules and work the formula and not bother dad while he's watching the game and not ask for too much because it might irritate him. But when we come to him in secret because he asks, secret prayer purifies our motives. It demands our attention and our engagement. Simple prayer expresses our heart and places us in a position of humility. We're talking to our Father. We're not addressing the British crown, right? If you've watched Downton Abbey or any of those kinds of formal shows, you know, we're not to go to, to, to God and say, My Lord, canst thou helpest my friend with his illness? You know, we're to say, Father, you know, this person is, is, is sick and they... They love you. Would you please restore them to health? Father, this one is not well. Would you you help them, Father, to to return to you and then to, to embrace your truth and then to serve you for the rest of their days? And would you give me an opportunity to share the gospel with them, Lord? Speaking in formalities is stranger talk. But Ephesians 3.12 says that we have boldness and access with confidence to God through our faith in Jesus. We're told in Hebrews 4.16 that we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because God is the source of all power and all blessing, And he ought to be the focus of our rejoicing, not his many gifts or blessings. We ought to seek him in prayer to thank him 
for the good things that he's given to us, and to ask him to continue to work in our lives. Remember that, that, that the book of Matthew teaches us that Jesus is saying that your father knows what you need before you ask. He is ready and willing. He, he will reward, reward us when we pray in secret. And so he's, he's ready there if we will come to him. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that's with, at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we've heard why not to pray. Why do we pray? I believe that prayer is to rise from within the grateful child of God from faith and hope and love. Prayer comes from faith that God knows all, that he can do all, that he is the author and giver of every good thing, and that he approves and accepts our prayers through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Prayer arises from the hope that as the adopted, beloved children of God, that our prayers will see fruit. Pastor John Piper has said that God commands us to pray because he intends to do things when we pray that he would otherwise not do if we didn't pray. Does that make sense? Why, why would God plan everything out and then prayer have no meaning? And I don't know how that works, that God orders everything and ordains everything in the universe and then asks us to pray. I don't get it, but I do know that we're commanded to pray. Prayer comes from faith and it comes from hope, but it also comes from love of God. That we pray to partake in and to celebrate his goodness with him. Psalm 34 says this, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. All of these things, all of, all of what the psalmist is saying there, these are the actions and the obedience of, of prayer, seeking him crying to him, expressing that, that he alone is the giver of good gifts and that we need him and that, and that he is our deliverer and our savior. And those who look to him are radiant. Their lives reflect the glory and the will of God. In prayer, we're doing a very simple thing as we come to the God of the universe who calls himself Father and calls us his children. We come in faith, presenting our will to God with the, de the desire to obtain something from him, with the will to seek it from him, and we place the desire before him in a submissive and humble way, and we say, Lord, this is what we believe we need. We pray that it would bring you glory, and that we would be joyful and celebrate you. I believe that is the purpose and the point of prayer. We're going to turn to the how as we study next week. 
as we explore how we're to pray, guidelines for prayer, not a formula, not a magic spell to get what we want, but, but the way in which Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And so let me, let me close with these, with these challenges. If, if you are stuck in your prayer life, I want to urge you, if, if, if you're stuck, if praying is a burden, I want to urge you to focus on simply spending some time and delighting in God in prayer. Go to, go to Psalm 34. Start in verse 3 and work your way through to verse 8. And pray those things personally for yourself. Lord, I magnify you. I exalt your name. And then, and then think of all the ways in which you can magnify the Lord in your life and pray about them. Focus instead of on, on the, the duty of prayer. Focus on the delight that comes from it. And secondly, if you do pray, let me urge you to pray that we would become a people of prayer. Not just this church, not just yourself, but that as a nation, as a people, that we, the Americans, we, the church in America, would return to our Father and that we would not focus on what it is that we do so much as who we are, that we are the children of God and we're to come to him because apart from him there is no power. Would you pray like that with me? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness toward us. We thank you that Jesus corrects false thinking about prayer. We thank you that that we don't need to appeal to you and to beg you so that you will pay attention, that you pay attention to us because we are your children. We thank you for rebuking the formality of public prayer prayer that that seeks attention because it does no good, Father. We pray that we would be faithful to pray when asked, that we would pray humbly, we would pray according to the truth of your word, but that we would not seek to impress or to educate or any of those things. We would not focus on the audience, but we would focus on you and your heart when we pray out in public. And we pray also that we would pursue you in the secret place, that we would pray to you because you desire for us to spend time with you. Lord, no good thing that we have obtained, whether it's by our hand or by coincidence, comes to us apart from your goodwill. You provide it all. And so we pray that we would come to you with hearts of thanksgiving. We pray that you would, we would honor you as the God who gave us salvation and the God who gives us all good things, that we would come to you in confession, that we would, we would come confessing that, that you're good and that you are our delight and that you gave us salvation which we do not deserve. We pray that we would ask you to work in our lives and then we would be careful not to attribute the result to ourselves, but instead to give you all the praise and the glory because you're the one who deserves it. And so, Father, we come to you. We ask that you would challenge us, draw us closer to your heart in prayer, help us to pursue you 
and to seek you. For you, not merely for ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.